Welcome to Everyday Driver, where cars are more than just transportation. They're freedom, a common ground, a way to grow, and can even make life better. We're here to help everyone find a car they love and discover all the ways they connect us. I'm Paul. I'm Todd. And this is The Car Debate. got a meetup coming at us in texas yeah i'm excited actually i hear the wrangler voice coming on is the wrangler Maybe. voice gonna make an appearance we'll, we'll the... see we'll see how okay much, uh, fair enough because you know here's the thing you aren't realizing yet we'll be in texas and you'll kind of hear that anyway so you is might that not need it from me come out in, no that doesn't happen cur- to me it doesn't that doesn't happen because with my wife make... oh you put you put you put kate in Texas, and a lot of Texas comes out of her all See, I've never experienced that because I've never yeah, actually yeah. been so, around but, her in but Texas. you might not need it from me because I have a feeling you're going to hear enough of it elsewhere really? that you'll be okay. Okay, fantastic. Fine. But we'd love to have you guys join yeah, us. We're going to be there Memorial Day weekend, actually, the Friday and Saturday Memorial Day weekend 2021. That's May 28th and 29th. We've got some meals and some drives. It's just going to be a really cool time. If you haven't signed up already and want to, there may be a few spaces left for some. It's a la carte, so not everybody's going to everything. But uh, you can go to our website, you can go to the Adventures tab, and you can try to sign up right now. Sounds so snooty, a la carte. Well, I mean, it is, yeah, but, it is you know, but yeah, it's good. But and yes, then, we hope to see you there. There will also be a Utah yes. meetup coming up in September, which we're planning, and that's going to be really cool. Yeah, that's I hate to amazing. oversell it before we've even put it up on its feet, but I'm, <laughs> right, I'm just excited right. about that one for sure. Fantastic. Well, on our partner store with Blipshift, you can find the Stuttgart shirt and Minister of Finance that is currently on right now. We were, we're going to do our best. We're working on a schedule to yes. help everybody know and us what as well, merchandise yes. is available at what times. Mm-hmm. So we're working on that, but that uh, is current right now, but mm-hmm. uh, we will continue to keep you posted. So you can go two ways, blipshift.com, partner stores, or you can go to our website, everydaydriver.com, go to the merchandise tab, and you can get there easily from there as well. I noticed the Lotus Elise tooling is for sale. I don't know if you... Had I've a had a thought. few people send this to me just, and say, hey, seen a the, price. the tooling is available. It's and I problem. just thought, um, I'd, I'd love for somebody really cool to buy it. <laughs> Let's be honest. For those of you needing clamshell replacements, we bought the tooling. Seriously. But but think about it this way, though. This is what Caterham is. Well, yeah. They, Caterham, they essentially, sold that Caterham. Caterham essentially is 7. using the Lotus 7 tooling, yeah. and they're still making the Caterham. It stands to reason that somebody would buy it and continue the Elise. The problem is, I think to make it successful, you have to federalize it again and make it available in the U.S., in North America. And it hasn't been available here since 2011 because – I'm going to go all Lotus geeky for a second – because in 2012, I believe it was, you had to have dual-stage airbags, mm-hmm. airbags in cars mm-hmm. that, depending upon the severity of the, ca- the crash, varied what the airbag would do. And Lotus took a hard look at the Elise and the bottom line and said, that isn't viable for the Elise. And they stopped selling the Elise in the U.S. in 2011, but it has continued for nearly a decade later elsewhere. They actually stopped selling the Evora for an entire calendar year while they figured out how to do it for the Evora, and then the Evora came back a year later and then has only gotten better since. I think the only way the tooling works is if somebody buys it and figures out how to federalize it, which means they have to solve the airbag problem, who's going to come alongside and do that? I hope someone does. I really do. Mm. Or maybe they figure it out because, I mean, Caterham's got like just a stick to hit your chest. It's not like Caterham's yeah. got airbags. So maybe yeah. they could do that boutique manufacturer thing and get, you know, only sell a few or something. Or but I, I would or, love or for this to track happen. cars. You know, they're only available for track use and just kind of make them specific yeah, for that. Yeah, I know. And you can still get U.S. ones that way. I and mean, we saw a Lotus uh, 311 yesterday at the track. Yeah, I saw that thing. And that's gorgeous. And, I, yeah. and track use is great, but they're just, they're also fun street cars. I hope somebody buys it and solves it, but it will not be me. As Todd just mentioned, we were at a track day yesterday. It was a tenant yes, we day were. at Utah Motorsports mm-hmm. Campus, our local track about an hour from us with our cheap sports cars. Massive thanks to Auto Tempest and Power Stop Brakes for sponsoring the cheap sports car challenge. And so we got these cars on track mm-hmm. for a couple of things. So we had a drag race. We had a real drag we race with these cars. Excellent drag race. And that was actually not part of the track. Four day. tries. Four yeah. different tries. We won't cover all of them on the video, oh, but we did do multiple tries. We dropped to get the clutches, the stuff we baby. Needed. We oh, yeah. dropped them hard. But but that was the thing. We also did a full track day. Mm-hmm. And, and, yes. and we've talked about track days off and on on this podcast a lot. By the way, welcome back. Glad to have you with us. <laughs> but the thing about it is, one of the main questions that comes up, and I get why it comes up, is people are always like, but how expensive is it to do a track day? And how much is it going right, to beat on my car? Right. Which are all valid questions. I want you guys to all keep in mind the fact that just like we prepared our old sedans for the salt flats, 
<clears throat> we prepared our current cheap <laughs> exactly. sports cars for our we track went to day. the same level of preparation yes. for those cars as we, we did these. We filled them with gas. I did check the oil and all the coolants and everything, but we, did, we filled them with gas, and we made sure the tire pressures were correct. And actually, we didn't even do that on the, on the salt flats. Yeah. And uh, we went out and had a track day. We actually did more prep on these. We did we? more prep on yeah. these. But, but here's the thing. They did fine. And there's a, there's a whole, and I'm not ruining anything in the video. The whole discussion is about how they did and how they drove in comparison to each other on the track right, and how they right. got drag raced. It's going to be a very fun piece coming up soon. But the funny thing was the group of cars they put us with. Oh, yes. Well, they have different classes, of course. So on these tenant days, they divided this one. It's usually two with 30-minute sessions on the top and bottom of the hour. This one they divided into three classes because they had more people there. And so it was every 20 minutes. So 1 o'clock to 120, yeah. 120 yeah, to 140. Yeah. So we were in the third group, the street class. And there's a variety of people that show up. Uh, it's uh, all, all kinds, kinds of skill levels. Which and it's is great. wonderful. We welcome that. Yes, for sure. So... In one of the classes, which was the top class, a race team was doing a shakedown run of two of their GT3 Huracans. Yes. So they had those. I mean, the, the kind of cars that compete in the World Challenge cars, they, mm-hmm. they're on air jacks. So they're the doing shakedown yeah, yeah. runs with these cars. So fine. Yeah. Then in the, I think it was the second group or was it our group? No, it was our group. There was a second Huracan. A third, actually. A third well, Huracan. There was a, there was with a, a giant wing. A blue Gallardo. Oh, sorry. It was a blue Gallardo. That's the, what this is the thing. I rolled up to our first session yesterday with cameras rolling and realized that in this session with us was a blue Gallardo with a massive, massive right. amount of arrow, yes. a brand new, like I think it even had dealer tags, white Aventador convertible. What's that? $400,000 worth of car. Easy. And a guy in an Exige cup car doing shakedown runs. Yes. And you and I just tool around the corner and our little things like, sure, we'll be in this group. Not to mention the Lotus Evora 400. Yes. There was a CR Honda S2000 yes. that I noticed. Mm-hmm. And at what point, whoever was, driving the other cars, had the Mercedes S-Class and the Maserati Ghibli on track. They were behind me. There was a brand new S-Class, like did, did have dealer tags. Yeah. AMG. How how bad were their tires at the end of the day? Can't believe Side this. note. But um, this day got a bit uh, <clears throat> adventurous, exciting. It was a bad day for Lamborghinis. Because, it was a bad day for Lamborghinis. First of all, the race team ended up not doing, well, I don't think they did very many laps if they did a few, I think, but not very many. I don't know what the issues were. I wasn't paying attention. But those two Lamborghinis were out, essentially. Yes. Then we noticed the Gallardo, the blue Gallardo with the giant wing, mm-hmm. was at one point covered in white dust. It looked like powdered sugar. Mm-hmm. Covered top uh, you, to bottom. You need to understand, this was as bright a blue as you can get on that car. And the next time I saw it, I wondered why it didn't pass me in it the was session. pastel. The next time I yeah. saw it, it was almost white. They went so far off track that <laughs> yeah. when it got back, it looked like the car had been covered in talcum powder. It was just, it was, people were like yes. leaving handprints and swipe marks in, in, and writing things in the windows because it was that dusty and the entire front splitter was trashed. That car never went back out no. for the time they were there. It had a session. And now it might have gone in, later in the day. Yeah. We don't know because we had left at that point. We had gone to do other things like drag racing. Yes. But the fourth Lambo. This Aventador. The Aventador, yes. With the top off to clear the helmet. Who came hunting. Because the driver was bigger than us. He he was was a large guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so he was uh, lined up behind us on one of our sessions. Mm -hmm. And I was back in the SLK. So we had swapped cars at one point. I was back in the SLK. And he was behind me blipping the throttle. And so we all got waved on track. (laughs) And I just thought, you know what? I'm in the SLK. What are you doing behind me, man? So the first straight that I came to that was a short straight that I could at least wave him by, pointed him by, just, you know, go ahead. You're in an an SLK. Let's move on. You're in a V12 Aventador. Yes. Please go do Aventador things Uh on track. Yeah, have fun. And so he did. He passed me and braked hard in the corner, came around. Two corners later, we got this on GoPro. His engine let go completely. Yes. It went in first white smoke, then black smoke, and then a fireball almost as big as the car. And then it just calmed down to just flames out the back. Paul is not exaggerating in the least, by the way. The, he, he said this, and I was like, wow, you really took in a lot on track. And then I saw the video and was like, no, 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 you're almost underselling it. It was astounding. Yeah. I couldn't yeah, yeah. believe it. Yeah. The engine went. Now, when you're driving an Aventador, you can't really see out the back. So he had a passenger, and it was obvious he didn't <laughs> really know he was on fire. That's very funny. And so he was online, and he was offline, and of course, everything let go. All the fluids just let go out from underneath the car. Wow. 
And so finally he pulled over. So thankfully he and his passenger got out and Everybody they were safe. Was fine. The fire marshals were on track yes. immediately. Yes. They, they were all over it. They closed that session down in a heartbeat. They, they did a great job. They red flagged us and then they black flagged the session. So we were off track. But the, the track, by the way, the track mm. could not have handled this better. The, the track was absolutely, phenomenal. Absolutely. But the, the sheer shock of seeing a car <laughs> that you know costs that much have a problem that you know is going to be that expensive. We, and then we mm. drove home in our cheap sports cars. Yeah, well, that's the crazy thing. We proceeded to go drag race. Well, yes, we You did. know what? Out of the yes, cars. Yes, we did. Drop yes, the clutch of, and yes. ra- drag race mm-hmm. and then stomp on the brakes at the end because we're, of course, measuring braking distances. Yes. But then we drove the cars an hour home. We did, yes. I got home fine. Mm, that was uh, the, the lesson here. Quite is a day. You can buy a cheap sports car and probably do just about anything with it, but there'll be much more discussion and a cool video coming for we sure. Feel very horribly for that owner and his. We're going to have to share that video though. Crispy insurance company. Yeah. Anger because the car is it's literally toast. Yikes. Our friends at Grio's Garage have got a new line of ceramic products to make your car care easier and more satisfying than ever. Start with the new Ceramic Wash & Coat, an ultra-slick formula that can be used with either the bucket wash method, which I like, or a foaming sprayer, which I also like, or a cannon, which I also like. We actually take Griot's Speed Shine with us on every single shoot. It's the ultimate for quick detailing, and it now has ceramic protection as well. Ceramic Speed Shine maintains a slippery gloss finish in between your main washing and protection days. And they even have ceramic trim wipes for long-lasting protection on plastic trim. Try any of these products or use them as your new wash routine. They are 100% guaranteed and all their liquid products are made in the USA. Don't forget to use the code EDRIVER when you order at griotsgarage.com. Our audience gets 15% off liquids and 10% off everything else. That's G-R-I-O-T-S. Enjoy the finest quality car care products you can buy at griotsgarage.com. We have a couple of great debates for you guys. First from Tyler M. in Virginia. He's got a split personality email here. I he is this. debating the financial me versus the enthusiast me. It's the Jekyll and Hyde thing. And, and this, Indeed it this is. is all of us listening, by the way. Oh, because I've yeah. said before, if oh, we yeah. had unlimited space and unlimited funds, we'd all be Jay Leno. Yeah. And so then you have the cold, hard reality of budget, which many of you listening just double when you get into finding a car you want. We, we get that, and Paul's very good at, at seeing that coming. Oh, but, yes. uh, but this is where we are with Tyler, for sure. Well, Tyler writes that he needs our help in justifying to himself to get a fun car. Mm. But here's the deal. He's had fun cars. He's had a 2014 FRS, Mm -hmm. a 2006 GTO, and a 98 BMW M3. Okay, all right. He's currently driving a high-mileage 2008 Forerunner that is paid for, and he plans to keep it until it dissolves into the ground. Which will be a while. Have you ever talked to anybody that said, you ask them how their day is going? Well, as a matter of fact, today was the day. My car dissolved. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> My car just ended. Have you ever talked to anybody, especially the Forerunner? That thing's going to run for a long time. He's going to have it for a while. What happens is actually is they don't dissolve. They just get slowly swallowed by your lawn. That's what oh, actually happens. Yeah, that's true. If you've ever driven through those th- those neighborhoods where the car is just, it hasn't dissolved, but the lawn has claimed it. The lawn is like the slow Sarlacc. See, yes. I can do it too. There you go. It's well bit. done. Yes, yes. My dog acts like the Sarlacc at the dinner table. I... He waits. <laughs> my, my son's dog, Wasatch, he waits until you're done eating. He's very patient, but then I'll feed him a couple scraps off a fork, by the way, because I learned years ago that if you want to feed a dog off of table scraps, you feed them off a fork. If they stab themselves, that's up to them. He comes exactly. up with the most tender, you, you, he just appears, his head off the side of the table and just, oh, and then he vanishes again under the table. He is the Sarlacc. It's dinner. hilarious. Yeah. Well, Tyler sold his motorcycle. He plans to stay out of that hobby for a while. Okay. So they want to get a second car. I'm guessing he and his significant other want to get a second car that's built around handling and balance. Okay. But for the past few years, he's been very focused on his finances, and he's rewired his brain to think of all purchases from a logical perspective. So Mm. he says having a second car is in direct opposition to this thinking. It's in direct opposition to good budgeting, for sure. Absolutely. I get it. I'm about to have uh, another car. Yeah, Indeed you are. Well, we both are. Uh-huh. The backstory here is Tyler, Tyler's last fun car he sold three years ago. That was the GTO. He says it was unengaging experience, but mm. it sounded great, made great mm. power. It was a little bit unique. The motor went up. It said it, hmm, like an Aventador. Ooh. <laughs> Due to an oil pressure issue, there <laughs> my was GTO, My GTO is like an Aventador. You never get to say that. We couldn't figure out how you over-rev a V12 Aventador. Will it not let you... Will it not prevent engine over revs even in any mode, even we, in track or we, sport mode? We legitimately don't understand what happened to this poor guy's car. We don't understand. 
fireball. I yes. couldn't stop saying, you're on fire. There's no way I can communicate with you. You're on fire. <laughs> How do I express I'm going to drive you past you. That you can't see the back half of your car that is your currently oil on fire. That you left. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Anyway. Well, Tyler's GTO went bad. He says, the warranty company denied his claim Ooh. due to this oil pressure issue on the LS2 motor. So it sat while he made payments on a car oh, man. without a oh, motor. Man. Oof. He received the car from the dealership without the motor and a cardboard box full of bolts on a flatbed. Oh, no. He proceeded to rebuild and reassemble with the help of friends, but $10,000 and three years later, he sold it at a massive loss. All mm. of that story is terrible. And you can see how from the ashes of that reality, Tyler says, I'm keeping my forerunner forever and yeah. I'm going to make wise financial decisions about buying my next fun car. But then he listens to this podcast. A quick note of perspective, Tyler. At least you didn't lose an Aventador on track. This is true. It's all very relevant. That wasn't your Wednesday. You're right. You didn't have as bad of a day as he did. You're right. It is. Yeah. Perspective. That's why we're here. But but the other thing (laughs) is that we're here to feed the car disease. And you listen to this podcast for a while and you just think, do I need to trade my car? Do I need another car? And and these are all the the realities of what we deal with as car people. So I get it. So this is his debate of um, hmm, logical him says, no, we're not getting anything fun. We're not doing this. Mm-hmm. Fun car guy says, uh, let's get something 25 to 30 grand. He's saying, how does he resolve this issue between these two sides? He says he wants a great car, mm-hmm. but his other side, the financial him, sees it as too much of a risk to his finances. So what do we recommend for twenty-five dollars to $30,000? Driver-focused, rear-wheel drive, manual, has decent creature comforts for doing a weekend trip through mountain roads. Okay. He would prefer a V8 but good chassis balance trumps outright power. We're with you on that. And the, the logical side of him, the budget-minded side of him, has done that terrible thing of researched oh, yeah. all the cars he's thought about and found all the known issues. And he has convinced himself, and I get it, Tyler, I totally get it. He has convinced himself that anything fun he buys will definitely be a money pit. Yeah, no. I know. The internet, that, that, by the way, the internet says nothing good to say on this issue. Yeah, onward. Pro tip for episode 602, do not buy an Aventador and take it on track. That is, hey, we're, 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 helping, we're helping the common man in now. Case we're helping the common man. tempted, don't do that. One side of me, Tyler, says, why do you have to spend that full amount? I can see it. 25 to 30K? That's not nothing. Mm-hmm. For a fun car? We get it. That's a commitment. So why do you have to spend that much? If you're going to recommit... You don't have to spend 30 grand. On the other hand, the other side of me says, I found you a black 2007 C6 model year Corvette with a mm. six-speed manual for, with $44,000 for $31,900 in Arizona. It's perfect. It's perfect. It's puttered around. Mm. Nothing wrong with this car. Yeah. And I know you grand. I mean, it's not the LS2 in the car, but still, I know you've had this thing with Chevy V8s lately. <laughs> Chevy V8s and a box of parts. I, I know that. And I could say, get a Chevy V8 car because it's going to be the most reliable and you're going to tell me. <laughs> no, it's not. Come over here a second. Let me beat on you. Yeah. But an 07 C6. Come on. That, that is tempting. 31.9. But again... I, I leave that as the outlier. That is the car that will do the road trip, the fun drives, mm-hmm, the twisties. Mm-hmm. It is a V8, and you'll love it. Yeah. But I think in this case, don't spend that much. Look at you. Toe in the pool. Look at you. Okay. This isn't a tester without you know results. This is, how about the cheap sports car? That's mm-hmm. why we're doing mm-hmm. this cheap sports yeah. car challenge. Yeah, yeah. How about that? $7,500 Z4. How about that $10,000 Boxster? Yeah. Well, even if he spends fifteen, yeah, spending half his budget. Spend half your budget. Just right. ease your way in. I think that's great. I don't always want to recommend Miatas as the, the show, but... It's not what you do, yes. What about the cheapest Miata you can find? Just to go have a laugh. Mm-hmm. Just to satisfy that part of you. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. Both sides of you can come to some sort of agreement, agree to disagree. Some, you know, yeah, they're, yeah. they're not in direct conflict yeah. at all times. But what about that cheap sports car? What about just shopping around? Because you already are. You indicated it. You're scrolling through Craigslist and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Auto Tempest on a daily basis, you said. Sometimes for hours, dream of a, dreaming of driving something engaging again. That's, that's cool and sad all at the same time. Well, this is going to happen the rest of your life mm-hmm. unless you do something about it, Tyler. Mm-hmm. 
It's just like taking a vacation or going to see your friend or picking up the phone and calling a loved one. It's not going to happen unless you take the initiative. Mm. Mm. So I put it on you through the list of sports cars, the Miata that Todd would have had in the boxer die. I would have driven sure. Yeah. Yeah. To the Z4 and the SLK to Mm -hmm. a solstice to Z cars. Yeah. To cheap Corvettes Mm -hmm. to all those natural cars for, for this amount that you could have chosen. Mm. What about investigating those? I'm asking, I'm putting it back on you. Excellent question. You've actually touched on a lot of the cars that I thought up. And the reason I thought of them is because you could spend your full 30 grand, Tyler, on any of the cars I'm going to mention. You could also spend, like Paul's saying, 15 or 20 mm-hmm. and get in most of these. Mm-hmm. And I did think up, look, I got to put it out there, Camaro and Mustang, they're both options here. They're options. I don't think they're right necessarily, but yeah. as a person yeah. that likes V8s, it's the more engaging, engaging version of the GTO you had. That's what I think you end up yeah, with there. Yeah, okay. You so you could do those. And I'll also let me step to the side here and say this real quick. Look at your internet research differently. It's not here's everything that can go wrong. It's here's everything you can defend it against. Think of it mm-hmm. as known issues, mm-hmm. not impending doom. Okay. What I would say is don't spend your whole budget and then immediately attack those things that the cars are known to have go bad. And I look, buy a used Honda Civic and if you want to look it up, it'll have known issues. Things that are known to sure, go bad sure. with high mileage. Yeah. This is the thing that breaks. Toyota Camrys, the the boring cars that you think I should buy one of those and be responsible, they have those things too. Cars wear out, stuff wears out, things break. Okay? So, yes, a performance car typically is is tuned to be higher performance and more at the edge of of its abilities, which is why it won't run in spite of you. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. But the issues, especially when you buy used, all the issues are known. So you can buy for less money and you can fix those issues and then you can go drive it. So I think the Corvette is great. C6 or C7. You think C7? Well, I mean, that's spending all of his budget. It's spending all of his budget, but that's the thing. How far? I did. Do you want to go back to C5? And spend oh, a fraction sure. of your budget. You could. Sure. That's V8. Going to be it's great also for- another Chevrolet V8. Yes, but V8, long-term road trips, but fun yeah. on a mountain road. You can't ignore the Corvette. I have to say, you said it as well, Porsche Boxster. Mm-hmm. The early Boxsters are now cheap. And yes, you can put a lot of money into, into an older Boxster. But there are tons of known things like this will go bad, this will go bad. You buy it, and if they haven't done the water pump, I know is one of them. If they haven't done it, mm-hmm. then you just get it done. Mm-hmm. Don't spend all your budget- Secure it against the future, and then you're better off. Also, the 370Z. The Z cars, yeah. You could buy a 370Z, which is going to feel very modern, and as a result, is going to be very reliable because it's been the same car for the last decade plus, but you could buy one for 20 grand and have a great car. You don't have to spend 20 grand on that you car. You don't, you don't. But I'm saying if you bought a $20,000 Z car, it's not going to be all that old. That engine and gearbox is, it's, there's two ways to look at it. On one level, it's ancient, but on mm-hmm. another level, it's tried and true. Yeah. So you get a 370Z and love it. And then I'm going to give you one wild card because I think Paul and I are kind of landing on the same place, which is don't spend all your budget. Ease your way in. And I think spend some of your extra money defending the car. I think so. I think so. I yeah. think that's probably the smarter call. However, I'm going to give you one wild card okay. that does spend all of it. Oh, okay. What you're worried about is this car breaking and going wrong and leaving you in a hole. Right. The way to defend against that is new. Oh. Buy or lease the upcoming, isn't even out yet, next-gen 86. Well, look at it's that. It's going to be right around where your budget is. Get a new one of those with the plans for, look, I'll go to your financial side right now. It's going to lose money. It's, it's going to You're, you're yeah. going to sell it, and it's going to have lost money, but you can buy it with the complete security of anything goes wrong, I'm knocking on the dealer's door going, excuse me, please fix that. Having a warranty is a reason people buy new cars. Absolutely. And, and with your experience with feeling. used cars yeah. and having a aftermarket warranty not work for you, a part of me just says if you bought brand new cheap sports car and you just drive it for two or three years but, or lease it, mm-hmm. lease it would defend you even further. If this is really your concern about, because what I hear more than anything in your email, Tyler, is just you don't want to waste money making it work. So if sure. you buy new, sure. it's going to work or they have to fix it. Tyler, an update to our cheap sports cars. I went outside and I checked underneath the SLK. No drips, no fluids, no leaks. 
It still has the race numbers on it, so it's and, still a little bit. It's five horsepower more still. And the engine wasn't on fire with the, the point you left. Engine wasn't on fire, wow, that's and there good. were no fireballs coming out of the tailpipes. That's amazing. I actually can still you believe think, that? That's crazy. I still think that the motorsports uh, BMW motorsport stripes on the front of my car they make it a race car. That is the difference do, right yeah. there. DriveShare is the coolest online car sharing platform around. I even have my car on there. It's simple. By connecting car owners with renters, DriveShare unlocks the joy of driving. You can drive something crazy cool. That way, renters can find cars that bring out the awesome at every moment, while owners can earn extra cash to fund their passion. To sign up, cruise over to DriveShare.com or download their app for iOS or Android. That's DriveShare.com. For our next car debate, we're talking about Chuck's email that he wrote into us from North Carolina. He is replacing an Alpha Julia. Now, the first thing to say here is he had an Alpha Julia. He had the 2017 two liter with the SA package and he loved it. There's no glad I, to I, hear. I just, I just want to stop here real glad quick to and hear. just side note on this car because we love them. Mm-hmm. We've had great experiences with them. I know car and driver and others have had reliability issues and that has scared a lot of people on this car. I want to note that Chuck had this car. He got rid of it for nothing to do with its reliability. He had it. He drove it. He loved it. He got rid of it because they've moved somewhere where winter has gotten a little more difficult and rear-wheel drive couldn't handle the snow. You didn't say if you had winter tires on. That's unclear. But, Let's just go with yes. But How ba- about that? But it couldn't handle the snow well enough where you are, and you wanted to be able to drive roads that get a little ruddy, and the ground clearance wasn't good enough. This is the reason you sold the Julia. No problems with it, but it wasn't working for your life and conditions anymore. I'm glad to hear that you had a great experience That's with been it. Phenomenal, yeah. Well, he says his wife had to rescue him in her Mazda CX-30 all-wheel drive when he couldn't climb the road to the house, Tires. leaving the Julia abandoned on the side of the road for days. That had to have hurt. Tires. Sorry. Very true. Somebody was saying something. I, just, I didn't hear anything. He needs to improve this highly rutted road drivability mm-hmm. situation mm-hmm. because yeah. the Julia had very low ground clearance. Yeah. So he sold the Julia, as you said, and he's looking for a replacement while he drives his son's Nissan Frontier. He needs something to make this 120-mile run to the city a couple times a month, so he needs fairly good gas mileage. Okay. It needs to be able to handle occasional muddy or rutted roads without tearing the bottom. He can't be afraid of a little snow or ice. Okay, all right. He would also like it to be a little fun to drive. Mm. But here's the zinger, he says. He'd like to stay around $16,000 cash, and he's not afraid to do a little work. So we've got a hard wow. budget in cash. Okay, all right. I'm going to say it one more time, Chuck. Tires. Mm. I completely agree with you on tires. I'm going to assume the best and assume uh-huh. that you did have them, and Let's it was just so. situational. Tires are do not overcome physics. We That's know true. this. That's true. They, they do don't change things problems. dramatically. They improve things but quite a bit. We but yes. leave it there. You might think that this is the perfect recipe for a Subaru WRX. Uh, it's on my list. It is <laughs> so on my glad. list. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to start high, Chuck, and I'm going to back my way to the cars I think you need to consider. Okay, good. I think you dig them. Your wife already has that all-wheel drive, the CX-30, which is yeah, fine. Very cool. The top car on my list, though, is going to spend more of your money. 2015 Mercedes-AMG GLA 45. I wondered. Found you one with... 95,000 miles for 22.5. And if you're concerned about 95,000 miles, I have a 2006 SLK 280 <laughs> with 156,000 miles that yes, I just you do. stomped on yesterday. Yes, you did. You stomped on it for a track session. I did. I stomped yes. on it. We drag raced it. Then we drag yep. raced it four separate times. This is oil I changes. I ground that under my boot. Oil changes and tires is what we've done yes. in the car. Yeah, for sure. Good point. Good point. Just yeah. saying 95,000 miles on a Mercedes is sort of like, problem as long as it's been maintained well and you maintain it that'll keep running for sure a slight competitor to that would be a bmw x1 oh interesting okay sure kind of interesting there's a great debate on the bmw x1 forms about this particular model Mm. in the 2012 era 2013 era of this car there apparently it's my understanding there were four total types of steering you could get with the X1. You could get the hydraulic-powered oh, steering. BMW. You could get hydraulic with servotronic option. Uh-huh. You could get electric power steering, and you could get electric power steering with the servotronic option. The servotronic option just makes it easier to steer when you're standing still or when you're driving slowly. So it's just that low-speed maneuverability thing. Yeah, okay. So, just saying, mm-hmm. that is something to note when shopping okay. for X1s. Yeah. What do you want out of your X1? <laughs> but you can get their good 
BMW hydraulic steering. It's one of the last cars that had it, which is a reason we've had people talk about the X1 and the X3 before is because they're like, wait, look what I found. Yeah. So that'll do rutted roads. It'll give you some steering feel. Sure. Everybody says it's really thick and heavy and some people like that. Some people don't, but you know, your, your experience will vary. I moved on from there because I cannot mention the X1 without mentioning the 2011 Mini Cooper S Countryman. I have the Countryman on my do list you, too. I did. Really? I was like, this is the random person who needs a Mini Countryman. I found one with 72,000 miles for $10,349. That's, that's now, way up there on my list. It's an auto, sure, but the rest of the car is still interesting enough. Agreed. And it has, look, that's not, it's not, you connected the X1 already. It's not an incredibly engaging car like the little tiny minis like the one I have. Right. Because they can also right. keep getting bigger, by the way. Exactly. But but at the same time, it has solid dynamics. Just good, enjoyable dynamics. And it can do a little bit of the light off-roading you're talking about. It's funny because I was reading this and I was just like, Chuck needs a mini countryman. And here you are. You went there as well. That's awesome. <laughs> okay, I have two more that you might not see coming. One is a Honda Fit. Oh, okay. You can bash a Honda Fit. It's a race car. You can get up on two wheels over the curbs. You can commute in that thing. You can pack, I don't know how many rolls of toilet paper in that thing. And it'll probably do the rutted roads too. Yeah, it would survive. Here's my weirdness for you, Chuck. Oh, okay. That is a Chevy Bolt. Oh, interesting. You'll have plenty of low-speed torque for the rutted mountainous roads. Chevy Bolt Safari. Chevy Safari Bolt. There you go. Safari your Bolt. Yeah, I mean, you could, you could put on slightly larger wheels. You'd lose a little bit of range. But 35-inch super swappers on your Bolt or that's something to get through the bogs of Florida. 120-mile round-trip commute that Bolt could do with, with power to spare. Exactly right. That's good. That's excellent. It's I a like little that. bit of a run-out, run-around, excuse uh-huh. me, run-out. Yeah, yeah. And then with that commute, as you said, it can do that. And then with low-speed electric torque, you can ease your way over sure. through some dirt and gravel yeah. and snow and mud and stuff. Sure. And it's got, it's got decent ground clearance. Get some winter yeah. tires on that. It'd go probably anywhere. Yeah, good point. Get you one for thirteen grand, Chuck. $13,000. A bolt good. is yours. Used, That's really good. fine. Take yeah. it. Done. The Safari Bolt. That's very funny. I like that. Uh, Chuck, I like all of these so far. I have a couple others that I want to mention. First off, I, I feel like I have to say it. You can get yourself a WRX. Yeah. Go shop WRX. Go back yeah. far enough that you can buy one for sixteen grand, just cash on the hood. That's a, that's a wagon. Because I also get the sense that you kind of appreciate the usability of the Frontier and the usability of your wife's CX-30. So yeah. go yeah. back a little bit. Get a $16,000, $15,000 WX wagon with a manual. There you go. There you go. There will be stuff it will need, but everything is known on that car. That engine's been around forever. All of the parts are like, they're like spilling out of garages. I mean, you've got parts just exist. You walk into any <laughs> auto parts store and you go, I have a WRX from the mid 2000s. They say, we have all of that. We could build one from the parts in back. <laughs> exactly. The wing of the store for totally. the Super WRX is over that way. Totally. Sir. So, so get a WRX wagon. Now look, the, the miles per gallon is not great. It's going to be mid to low twenties, but it's probably better than the frontier you're driving now. So I think that's your that's one of them. But the other one that didn't get mentioned that I could mention here that okay. I think would work. Get a Cayenne. Oh, get that's a used good. First gen Cayenne. If you want, that's you could super even good. get a Cayenne with a stick shift. I don't think it's what you're hoping for, but get a used first gen Cayenne. Oh, I have one Chuck, with the Trans Siberia version, the well, orange and black flavor. You could. That's great. I don't know that they're oh. that cheap yet, but but yeah, get but get a first gen Cayenne. And I would say get one like I did, which just to, as a quick refresher, they introduced that car here in 03. Mm-hmm. 03 to 06 mm-hmm. is generally you want to avoid, especially the V8s. They had enough problems to fix. They didn't make it in 07. Mm, yeah. So you want the point two, the second half of the first gen, which is 08 through 2010. We have a 2010. It's got almost 140,000 miles on it's it. It's doing awesome. We've actually not? spent some money on it. I've got to do an update. We spent some money on it of late, but all the money we've spent on it is like, oh, guess what? This car is getting old. Sure. That's the kind of money we're spending now. As any car would. Absolutely. It's like, yeah. oh, we got to fix that. Oh, that wore out. Not huge stuff. Nothing catastrophic. Go look at a Cayenne because the thing I am continually surprised by with my wife's is it's just enjoyable to drive. It's, it is cool. It's 5,000 pounds. It's not light and chuckable, which is what I love. It's none of that. But it doesn't feel like a big, heavy 5,000-pound truck in spite of that weight. Yeah. And yeah. it just it's phenomenal on the highway. Road trips in that thing are awesome. But yet I've taken <laughs> it down good. tons of fire roads and stuff for mountain biking. Just Let's just bomb down that road. I've put it in low yeah. range when we've had, I'm not kidding you, three feet of snow in our driveway, and I have swum that thing down the drive. So cool. It's, honestly, you can feel like a float, like low-speed snowmobiling as we're just grinding our way down the driveway. Yeah. That thing's phenomenal. So look at a first-gen Cayenne. Spend decent money on it, but then also just what does it need? Maybe you spend 
12 on one, which is the high end of those at this point. Spend 12 on one and spend three or four grand just getting it up to spec and then just drive it. Great idea. I'm all about that. A very exciting social media question comes to us from Edmund Hayes, one, two, three, who says, what thing or group of objects would we pick to name a car after? Mm. We already have dinosaurs and fierce animals. (laughs) Edmund, I have your answer. It would be the Elizabethan period of weapons or siege artillery. Oh my gosh. Think about the Porsche Pikeman or the Cadillac Broadsword. <laughs> the Renault Trebuchet. The Lotus Rapier. <laughs> I like this the so Dodge much. The Dodge Battleaxe and the Hyundai Halberd. I like this a lot. Edmund, in your blunt hand weapons category, you have clubs and maces, morning stars, holy water sprinklers, flails, war hammers, and horsemen's picks. Just think of SUV is called the siege machine. (laughs) I've got the new Tesla Warhammer. What's in your driveway, punk? (laughs) I like it. In the pole arms class, you have the quarter staves, the wing spears, Corsicas, Glalves, Danish axes, sparths, pole axes, and mauls. The ranged weapons class includes Franciscas, javelins, longbows, and arbalests. <laughs> there was a javelin. Yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah. And finally, the siege weapons include battering rams, the aforementioned counterweight trebuchet, onagers, and mangonels. Can you imagine the Hummer Ballista and Springnald? I really want yes. a Renault trebuchet. I really want. Yes. I don't even know what that is, but that would be awesome. This is an entire category of unharvested, unmined car names. And you know that the website still exists for all of those. Of course. The Renault Trebuchet has, I guarantee you, nobody has that .com right now. So, yeah, that, that's the other big struggle uh, for sure. So good. That's very funny. We've talked about fire roads already on this episode, so I've got to go here. Chris Hutch4 on Instagram says, which of our cars would make a better safari mod car, the Elise or your Cayman? Oh. And as much as it pains mm. me to say it, it's the Elise. Because okay, explain because you can imagine the Elise getting dirt in the windows and the entire interior and everything is just dirty because ultimately what is that? It's just extruded metal and simple seats and it just it seems like you could, you could almost Myers Manx that thing. Okay, you know I, mean? I can see that. Sure, like you just lose a few into, body panels here and there, yeah, and, and it's just cut into something, you know. And and the interior gets filthy and you don't care. I mean, can you imagine your? You can't imagine. I know you can't. Your GTS suddenly getting side sandblasted by a big sand dune with the window down, and then what that does well, to that interior. You know. Putting a few Nevada pinstripes down the side. Yeah. So I just, as much as I don't want the Elise to be safaried, I know that somebody's done it already and you're going to send me photos again. And that's fine. I've seen some of the videos. It's crazy looking. But I think it just makes sense. I mean, they've done that uh, Club Sport GT4. It's the off-road. It's more yeah. of the ice racer For kind sure. of a thing, yeah. though. It's For not sure. really like a launch off the dunes kind of 911 rally style. It exists, but yeah, I, could, I could see the Elise. As much as I'm not a safari guy, there is a part of me that wants to be the guy at the dunes who chucks on Elise over the top of the dune like, hey, how you doing? I, I, that, that would be very funny. What, is, what that is that thing? guy doing? Yeah, I love it. <laughs> All right, let's see. Oh, Parker Singleton says, what's our opinion if the HOV lane was on the right side instead of the left side? Ooh. So the fast lane was on the very left lane and all the carpoolers there trying to cruise along. They're trying to not get over three or four lanes just to get into a lane and cruise. But then there's a lot of people merging on that side, Parker, as you acknowledged, Mm -hmm. the on and off of freeway ramps. Because people in the HOV lane are there to stay for a while. Yeah, theoretically. Whereas yeah. the opposite of that is on the right side where it already is. Mm-hmm. So I, I see your point, but I don't see any benefit. I, I think the on and off wrecks it. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. With the, and yeah. what do you have in some cities is they actually have an individual HOV lane that separates itself from traffic entirely. Yes. There's only a few places to get on because we're headed yep. through. Los Angeles does it. Other places do it where you get on and you're going to be on it for two or three miles and you can't get off. It is just designed to flow traffic. Mm-hmm. I think that actually starts to do it a little better, but of course you can't hop on and off that way. Mm-hmm. Indeed. You see a question from Lawrence D after watching the fast and furious nine trailer. He has to ask, this is at you. <laughs> yeah. Why aren't these movies animated? The chase sequences in these movies can only be des- be described as cartoonish. I saw this Lawrence. It's a great question, but here's the answer. They already are animated. That's the truth of it <laughs> with CG because that what you're seeing no longer happened. Yeah. None of it. I mean, it, they didn't do any of that. They scanned the car. They pulled it into a digital world and they created an entirely digital scene 
Yeah. And that's why yeah. the cars are doing things that make no sense. And you cut to the actor who was sitting in the, the inside of the car with a green screen behind them so you can put them into the scene. Mm-hmm. They are animated. It's just that's they're funny. animated yes. with a realistic look. But nothing about those scenes anymore is practical, <laughs> which is too bad. I mean, what I like is when you do really good practical yeah. driving. I mean, you'll see, like, there's a huge chase scene in one of them, a couple, the last one that uh, uh, Paul Walker was in. There was a big chase mm-hmm. scene where they chased a bus down a, a, a mountain road, and eventually the bus actually goes off the side, and he jumps off the side, okay? There's some practical stuff in that, some, okay? But once you're you're driving through a downtown area, or like the, the, one of the last ones where they had every car in town got hacked oh, yeah, from the Charlize sky, and, and they drove doing it. Her thing and huge seas of those cars are all digital. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fat Ferret on Instagram says, uh, what do we think about... The new Porsche Macan is being rumored it's going to be offered with a gas engine and an electric powertrain. I think what you're seeing here is the future of the Porsche product lineup. Absolutely. Porsche is going to do this with every single car they make. They're going to give you a gasoline option or an electric option, and it's going to come down to what's your usage. If you're a person who buys it because you live in Los Angeles and Beverly Hills and you commute to the film studio every day, you buy the electric version of the Panamera, the Cayenne, the Macan, the whatever – Yep. And if you're a person who you bought that car because you take road trips to the mountains and you're going to drive 600 miles at a push, you're going to get the gasoline version. I think so you're absolutely I right. Think that's their entire lineup is going to look like this. Remington G22 says it was Carol Shelby, he thinks, who said there's no such thing as too much power, just not enough traction. Do we think this holds true today or have modern cars just gotten too much of both? Well, if you apply... That thinking, a thousand horsepower, all-wheel drive electric car, it's putting all of its power down. Yeah. yeah and it's doing it, yeah. which is crazy. So, hmm. Well, there's, there's a flip side I, here. I'm mixed on this. To that quote. Because the flip side is, if you're talking about a car for racing, and if racing will allow you to increase your speed and your grip, then you're right. There is no end in sight. Let's, mm-hmm. we just, mm-hmm. I would like more than I had last year so my car goes faster than it did last race. But what we're dealing with, though, is we now have cars that their capability is so far beyond anything that 99.95% of their drivers are ever going to accomplish. Yes. yes. And I just start to go, what are we doing at that point? If you're dr- building a race car, different. But th- the other problem is that also cars, while getting even more capable, are becoming even nicer places to be which means you now have a car that does things that defy physics while you sit in what feels like the most comfortable seat in your house. Sure, you can have your seat coolers on while you're going around track. You can, and as a result, they just feel more distant. They feel Mm. more like I'm not needed. This is one of the things that bothers me about some of the super high-performance cars we drive now is that I just don't feel like I'm necessary. I feel like I could have just as much fun in the passenger seat which is weird. Mm-hmm. And that's what all of this technology and capability has done is it's, it's made us less vital while we're along for the ride and created cars that uh, I'm never going to use a quarter of this. Mm-hmm. I find that weird. I do. Yeah, I see that. Kazi Chav says, we have talked about the fact that manual transmission development has lagged far behind modern day automatics. How do we fix that? What improvements would you make to it? First of all is offering it in more cars. Sure. Improvement number one is just making it more available. But to go along with that, people have to want to buy them. They have to want that engagement. It's almost less about look how good the rev match is Mm -hmm. on this or look how well spaced the gears are. Yeah. Okay. It's still you have to do it yourself. Mm -hmm. Where's the desire to do that? It's almost like a a rethink, a you know, change perception, change headspace, and have manufacturers do that in more cars and offer them for sale. Yeah. But the other flip side to that is the public has to buy them. The how do we fix that is we as enthusiasts have to fix it by voting with our dollars. And buying them. But yes. let's just go to the simple math of it. And I know I've just brought up math on this podcast, and it's terrifying. But the room is spinning here, currently. Here, here's the thing. I'm, a little, I'm a little sick, actually. But here's the thing to think about, though. Let's just look at it as a line item. Let's just say, to use round numbers, let's just say we have $100,000 we're going to use as the – I mean, it's not what it's going to be. It's going to be much more than that. $100,000 yeah, yeah. to use for the total budget of transmission development on this car. And 5% of buyers are going to buy the manual. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. We'll give you $5,000 to develop the manual because 95000 of the of the transmission money is going toward the 95% of people that will buy the automatic. Mm-hmm. This is the problem. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. There's there's no point in putting in the economics and all the, the budget and people and everything involved to make a good manual because it doesn't financially play out. It's too bad, but it's true. Well, I'll guarantee you that the thing that we all look for as enthusiasts, that mechanical linkage mm-hmm. feel, yeah. is a non-starter. That's a detriment that doesn't sell the transmission so modern manual transmissions have gotten smoother and easier and that means the cable rubbery shifter feel and so that's not what we're looking for but if it feels rougher and more race car like which connects us enthusiasts to the car Mm -hmm. for the general public buying it that's that's a Mm non-starter that no points are awarded for that well it's funny you're making me think of the ferrari gated manual Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. If you're a person that likes cars, you have this kind of ah oh, moment when you see a gated manual. Yes. But yes. most people haven't driven one. Yeah. Yeah. They take a bit of getting used to. For sure. They're sure. not the easiest transmission ever. They're a little weird. They take time. They're not slap shifters by no, any means. You, they take you, time um, to shift. A modern manual transmission that is not a gated shifter typically is faster and easier to shift. Absolutely. But that ma- that gated manual feels really cool to work with. So now you've got a debate like that where, okay, we want this feel, but man, this one shifts easier. It's very interesting. So the solution clearly is gated manuals on everything. Gated manuals. That's it will turn off yeah. the people who it turns off <laughs> and will, will attract us like we're moths. Just, we're just a, fine with not selling oh. to people unless you want a gated <laughs> manual. Who's that car maker? Maybe the person that buy, hang on, maybe the person that buys the Lotus Elise tooling Oh. creates a really good gated manual. I know there's aftermarket kits that aren't great, but I'm just saying in general, sure. they create a really good gated manual and then we just converge the world and they'll sell like five of them and I'll be one of the buyers. That'll be worth yeah. the cost. That'll be worth it for sure. Safari, the rest of them, right? Question over here from Parmalot asking, has being on the press car circuit changed at how we look at older used cars at all? Are there any older cars mm. that we used to dream of and now we just think, nah, not interested? I did that with the Phaeton until I owned one. And now I'm just like, really? Still really cool. Glad I don't have it anymore. But I really liked it. Yeah. I mean, not exactly a press car, but, you know. I mm, I think uh, I think with the Alpha was a good example. We drove the Quadrifoglio, Alpha Julia Quadrifoglio. Yeah. And for the entire shoot, both Todd and I looked at each other and said, yes, all day long. Yes, 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 yes. But not for $80,000. Yeah, that's tough. Yeah. So now, years later, we're looking at the car still going, yes, now they're in a sweet spot. But now there's other cars that have come up that are maybe more interesting. Maybe we'd like to reallocate mm. our imaginary dollars to a different place. <laughs> sure. But during that time, we'd say, yeah, I'd, I'd totally buy one of these for forty or $50,000 three or five years later. But that's just it. Mm-hmm. Here we are yeah. three or five years later. And we're... We still love it. Don't get me wrong. And we're not in any way turned off by it. Mm. We, I think both of us would still own one. But now there's better, faster, more interesting, more engaging. How do you balance that? Michael W. says, is the Mustang due for the generation's treatment of all the Mustangs ever wow. made? Which would we pick as the daily? Ooh. I think from a generation's treatment perspective, we've toyed with the idea. We've discussed it, but there's so many special editions. It would have to be the right special editions. It would have to be yeah. a very highly curated choice of Mustangs. Well, the, the, the Mustang, the, the level of spec, look at the current generation. Let's just stop at the current generation. You have the EcoBoost, which also has a premium version and for a while had a V6. Yeah. And then you have yeah. the GT and then the GT premium and they have the Mach 1 and the Bullet and the GT350 and the mm. 350R and the 500. And yeah. that's just the current gen. Yeah. The problem with the Mustang with the number of special editions is which one are you covering? Because on one level there's a part of me that says the 911 approach. Get the the non the base one but nobody would watch that. Right. Because it's, that was the Mustang that most people all were like, the turbos that's, that's not really or, a Mustang. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So then do you do just the V8 middle ground? But then people say, well, what about the Shelby? And what about this one? And hang on. My Roush is better. Mustang's hard because how to curate which ones to cover mm-hmm. is really difficult. It's also hard because of the differences in the generations. And by yeah. that, I mean, yeah, there was the independent rear suspension jump. But other cars that was on the Cobra, but not everything else. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then there's other you know generations of cars that are distinct. Mm. Okay, this generation had this better about it, and that's why they made this generation ten years later. There was less of a well, all these special editions, as you said. So it's a tough one, and I I'm not sure it lends itself. It, It could be such a deep rabbit hole. Where do we stop? Because at any point. 
people would accuse us of not doing it right because we didn't include insert Mustang here. The Mustang that is their all-time favorite. That's a hard one for sure with the Mustang. Yeah, definitely. Yep. T. No on Instagram says he's picking up a 2006 Miata that he just purchased, and he's asking what uh, level of fuel should he run? Does he need to run premium or medium or cheapest option? Uh, see how the car runs. I mean, one of the one of the old things here is if a car starts knocking, I'm going way back here. But if the car starts knocking, you put in a higher grade and it stops mm, knocking. That's yes. less common now than it used to be, but it used to be a thing. Watch uh, Jason Pinsky's done a good thing on engineering uh, explained, talking about the benefits of or non benefits of octane, depending. What is the car actually set up for? Okay, and I would I would put in what the manufacturer tuned it for because then you're getting the performance that the car was supposed to give you back. Now, in some cases, cars from the 90s were tuned for 93 octane, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you really can't get it. Yeah. So you're putting in 91 yeah. and hoping for the best. Uh, you can do octane boosters. Don't you don't need to get in all that kind of madness. You can, but it's really not necessary. So I think for your Miata, what does it need? And I think that actually will run on regular. If you were going to do a real spirited run or a track day, I would say put in the premium stuff for sure. But also, again, use these these features and look it up. Staying with Miatas for the moment, Xanner01 on Twitter says, As an ND2 owner and being appreciative of American muscle, how does the driving experience of the Mach 1 that we posted or the GT350 oh, interesting. compare to an RF ND2? Is it an upgrade in most respects or too, just too different to compare? I, I think the subtleties that you feel about your car are going to be lost on you in the Mustang. But there's so much fun, as you know, from the American muscle thing and both the 350 and the Mach one perform so much better than you think. And Mm. so much better than they deserve to. Yeah. Yeah. They're almost no longer Mustangs in the old school respect. Oh, they're they're very much sports cars. Yeah. They're very, they're very good, but they're the subtleties, that lightweight, the twitchy, the, you know, throw in all those kinds of things that you probably have discovered you're going to notice them missing. We're very, very muted. The problem stepping up from your Miata or the FRS like I used to have or the Lotus or whatever is most sports cars you step up to are going to be the better part of a 1,000 pounds heavier. Mm-hmm. Your mm-hmm. Miata weighs 2,500. That Mach 1 weighs, I think, 3,700, 3,800. It's, yeah, okay. right in there. So, right so in there. you're talking about more than a 1,000 pounds of weight. Oh, yeah. You can't hide that. And so the, the nuance that you feel in being in a light car, that will change. Now, the, the thing that overcomes it is power. Mm-hmm. It starts mm-hmm. to offset it, but you're going to definitely get a different feel, and that is the hard part. Melifluous512 says, what's our ideal car for having fun on a windy back road? I think we're there. I think we own them. Yeah, I think we do. <laughs> Though there are others I wouldn't mind owning, but man, the Lotus is just, I, yeah, that's pretty much nirvana for me. Yeah, I know. It's it's very good. I'm all about Porsche, Caymans, Boxsters, you name it. Guys, thank you so much for all your questions. Keep them coming. Write to us, your car debates at everydaydrivertv at gmail.com. And again, I'm reminding you of the pro tip for the day, and that is don't buy an Aventador and track it. Or, or figure out what this poor person did and don't do that. Mm. Also, while you're here, do us a favor. We would love it if you'd rate this podcast. That actually helps other people find it. Both of these emails today mentioned that they just found the podcast in the last six months. Awesome. And many people are writing us every week and going, hey, I just found you guys. And the fact that you have a podcast, I was looking up for car car podcasts and you were high on the list. That's because of you guys rating. Thanks for rating it there. Also, if you haven't seen on our YouTube channel, we just dropped a really cool piece, the Supra, the Cayman, and the M2. And it's closer than you think. That's on the original (laughs) YouTube channel. Of course, there's much more stuff coming on the test drive as well. Looking forward to more as always. Thank you, guys. Cheers.